Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. All right, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening and uh, joining us again for another episode of the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. Um, again, got Robert and Zach here. Al. Hey. Uh, if you haven't already, visit us on the website, uh, theactpod.com, or you can visit our Facebook, uh, the Achieving Christian Thought Podcast. Leave us a like, leave us a message. I'd love to hear from you. Um, so last time I know we started talking about the kings of Israel kind of leading in from the judges into the kings, and we hit on uh, the main ones, um, um, Saul, David, and Solomon. And like one thing I was thinking about as we wrapped up the last episode is, is people were probably thinking more to the point we kind of said at the beginning of that episode of, okay, well, of course, as Christians, we think, okay, well, why wouldn't we want God to be our king? Mm -hmm. Obviously that sounds incredible. Just, you know, follow God everywhere, let him provide and all that. And then of course, Israel came and said, no, we want, kings like everybody else and they kind of turned away and what was it in was it first or second samuel where when the israelites came and said that and samuel prayed to god about it because he felt really dejected and god said no they didn't reject you they rejected me that's the first samuel yeah yeah yeah. and i thought that was really powerful Mm -hmm. how because you know samuel really took that personally he was like okay i don't feel like i'm fit enough to lead them and god is like no it's not you it's me (laughs) um (laughs) essentially is is what you know like they're not rebelling against you they're rebelling against me yeah yeah and so you know you think and you you look back at that with hindsight and say well how can they do that but then I started thinking, you know, even in our daily lives, like we do that all the time, even now. Yeah. Like how many things do we prop up in our lives that we put as king above God? You know, mm-hmm. money, jobs, status. Our own freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because really, I mean, that's just kind of going into it a little bit. You know, it's like we, we don't even have the concept of king. I mean, like. Like someone actually ruling over us. We're we're in America and like free. I mean, like there's a president and there's Congress. And if you break the law, you go to jail. But I mean, if you don't do any of those things, you are free. And that and that concept to us in some ways is like makes uh, someone who rules over us kind of like how how is that even possible? Yeah, you know, like and that and I, and I think to some extent that kind of fuels into that whole like. I could do whatever I want and be a Christian because it's like, no, actually God is your Lord. You've surrendered your life to him. He's your Lord. That's what Lord means. It means he calls the shots and you don't. Really? <laughs> yeah. But um, so I think it's just a human nature. Like, oh, we want to be in charge no matter what. Mm-hmm. And 
and we look around and we see what everybody else is doing, be like, I want that. You know, I mean, whenever you, you think about like this, you know, in our in our day and age, we see somebody with a nice car, we see somebody with a nice, um, you know, or a celebrity, and be like, oh, I wish I was looked like that or talked like that or had that kind of car or had that kind of acting gig or what have you. And and I wouldn't be surprised if Israel didn't look around and see all the kings and the the idols and things like that and be like, I wish I had. We had that. We don't have that. We we got this. We got a tent, you know. <laughs> yeah. We we worship at a tent, you know. And now, granted, it was a beautiful tent. I mean, it was elaborate. There was a lot of really beautiful furniture that God you know, gave a direction for Moses and, and them to build, but still at the same time, it was a tent. A nice robe. It was too. a tent. It was a nice robe. Yeah, you know. And and let's be clear, in some instances, some of the judges, like like the judge themselves were good, but then sometimes their, their administration didn't kind of flow too well because, like, Samuel was a, a good judge, but it says, like, his sons of... Like his sons basically weren't necessarily just, weren't necessarily good. Yeah. So it's like maybe, maybe the leader meant good, but maybe his administration kind of fell by the wayside, so to speak. And mm-hmm. without jumping too far ahead or any spoilers for what we're going to talk about tonight, mm-hmm. but you kind of see how Israel started off as a subjugated you know they were slave they were you know um you know a captive people and god lifted them up freedom mm-hmm. and then of course israel was like no nah, we got this from here <laughs> yeah you may yeah. have saved us we'll take it from here yeah that and goes well get, yeah, <laughs> yeah as, as whenever humans meddle in in things and, and try to be our own god and then it leads to the downfall, which we're going to talk about. And then yep. it leads to, gosh, how many centuries of just subjugation? Mm-hmm. And they're right back as a subjugated people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, so easy. But yeah, uh, I guess that's a good segue. So, Zach, Robert, uh, definitely uh, take over. Uh, what are we talking about tonight? The United Kingdom to the Divided Kingdom. Uh, these are two major sections in uh, Jewish history. As we get through the story of the Old Testament and God's dealing with Israel. And as uh, Brian mentioned, it's just a pinwheel. Um, We saw it in the book of Judges. Rebellion, repentance, and subjugation in reaction, and then repentance again, and on and on. And so now we see it on a larger scale. Uh, Even on the throne, we will see uh, kings coming and going, some wicked, most of them wicked, and a few spots of goodness that holds back hold back holds back God's judgment if I can get that sentence out um to take a quick little peek back uh to start this whole thing off uh way back in the letter of Deuteronomy Moses wrote it right before his death it was the last thing that uh Moses imparted to the people before he went and through it God made it very clear the conditions of Israel and so our modern uh, standing in Jesus is unconditional. If you have faith in him, you cannot lose your salvation. However, the covenant with Israel by nature and necessity was very conditional. And the reason was because 
modern salvation through the Messiah is a personal, individual, heart-level situation. The covenant between God and the nation of Israel in the pre-Messiah days was on a grand national scale. It was the relationship of God to the nation as a whole. And so he was basically saying, if you obey these laws, and there were 316 of them total in the first five books of Moses, if you obey these laws, I will bless you. If you disobey these laws, I will forsake you. Not completely, but I will bring my hammer down to bring you back in line. And so the gloom and doom of this warning hovers above the entire history of the divided kingdom. And by the divided, basically to pick us back up where we left the story off in the last episode was Solomon had passed away and his son Rehoboam took the the throne of Israel. And this at the time, the nation was still uh, complete. They were undivided. They were united. It was one complete nation of Israel, but it did not last long at all. And so you have Rehoboam, whose father was known as the wisest man outside of God himself in all of Scripture. And yet his son, by proverb standards, was an absolute fool. This guy, he, he, he broke all the rules and paid for it very quickly. What happened was another man, no relation, even though their names rhyme, named Rehoboam rose up. He had risen against Solomon. Sorry, Jeroboam, my brain went whoop. Yes, Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. Jeroboam was the unrelated man who rose up against Solomon uh, in the final days of, final years of his reign. Zach mentioned him as we closed out the last episode. Solomon's gone. He's moved on to be in God's presence. His son, uh, Rehoboam, is now on the throne. Jeroboam returns. Solomon had run him away. Jeroboam saw his chance and returned to stir the pot. Now, while Solomon was able, in his wisdom, to swat the fly away. Uh, it went. Uh, Jeroboam went from a fly to a mosquito when he landed on Rehoboam. He completely wrecked Rehoboam's uh, kingdom in the the uh, wickedness that he was pulling off. He was basically trying to undermine everything that Solomon had built. And so, basically, um, the quick version, because there's so much that we could cover on this episode. Uh, Jeroboam, the, uh, sorry, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. I keep doing that. <laughs> Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Israel, was uh, refusing to listen to wise counsel. These were men who had counseled his own father because the councilmen came to him and he said, uh, basically, uh, they were reacting to um, Jeroboam's plan, the non-king, his plan was to stir strife among the people. And the counselors were telling Solomon's son, Rehoboam, that if he was smart, if he wanted to be wise and tactful, he would be lenient and kind to the people. And Rehoboam refused to listen to that, and he brought the hammer down. He said, if you will not listen to and obey me, I am the king. I can uh, deal out punishment. I can be hard. And so the people literally chose uh, to break away from a good portion of 
Rehoboam's kingdom. So here he is, the son of Solomon, the man who had risen Israel to the very height of its glory in political terms. Now his son, only just one generation away, lost practically all the kingdom. And so it divided, it split between north and south. The north in Scripture is literally just called Israel. So from here on out, when you see the word Israel, it's specifically referring to the north. And the reason for that is because it was the vast majority. It was ten tribes out of the twelve. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, only kept two tribes. These were the only people truly still loyal to him, and that was only because of David's blood. They were loyal to him because he was a child of David. The southern kingdom ironically, will be smaller, but will last longer. And the reason God did it was to preserve his promise to David that he would have someone on the throne so long as Israel remained a nation. And so the divided kingdom comes from this moment, this split. Rehoboam kept his throne for two tribes. Jeroboam, the usurper, slunk in and he grabbed the rest of the pie. He became king of 10 out of those 12 tribes. And so you have Israel in the north, the vast majority of Israel, almost all of it, and Judah in the south. And Jesus is known as the lion of the tribe of Judah, since this is the tribe that David and his line, including Rehoboam, came from. And so this is where everything really launches. Everything goes to the races from here on out. We have crawled through three very famous names. And once you get to the divided kingdom, um, to put it in, to put it in one illustration, if it was a car and we're slowly crawling up here, uphill through the United Kingdom, the divided kingdom goes through a lot of time very quickly, a lot of names very quickly. Uh, basically, you put the car in neutral let your foot off the brake and just let it fly downhill. And all of a sudden, we don't know where we might land until we finally crash at the bottom. And Israel at this point, and I mean both both sides, the whole nation, north and south, were racing towards their doom as God had warned them to. And so from then on out, we see people uh, turning their backs on God. We see people uh, following after all the trends of pagan worship around and any practice you can think of, the people were doing it. Kings, one after another, were constantly uh, proposing it because their hearts had gone so far away from God. Um, the, the North didn't have a single good king in this entire history, and they will fall first. The South will have a few good kings, but it'll be very rare. They will last longer, but in the end... All of Israel will go into exile, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just giving a snapshot of the story. And so one king after another, north and south, with a few exceptions in the south, in Judah, there will be nothing but bad kings and nothing but bad news. And this is, and a side note, this is where we get most of our major and minor prophets, those who've written books in Scripture. Their names are given to the books, and these prophets are either condemning um, one of these two halves, encouraging them to repent and carry on, or God will put them in exile. Or there are a few that take place after exile and return, encouraging Israel and trying to encourage them to repent after they return from exile. So this is 
this whole story is the sweeping con- context of each of the prophets. But um, I'll get it to Zach, and he can carry it uh, where he wants it to go and land with some of the stories that interest him most. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, kind of like Robert said, um, so at the time of the Exodus, scholars believe it's roughly around 1400 A.D., or excuse me, 1400 B.C. or B.C.E., Um, and then the time of Solomon and David and Saul, you're looking at roughly, give or take, about 1000 B.C.E., I think they... They think maybe uh, Solomon was maybe 990 uh, B.C., roughly. And so from that point, uh, you had the Jeroboam-Rehoboam conflict. So like maybe 970, 980 on down the line, you have various kings, uh, both north and south, um, uh, one good, uh, well, no, he wasn't a good king. He was a bad king. One king of note was a man named Ahab mm-hmm. who um, married uh, a famous, beautiful uh, pagan by the name of Jezebel, which is why you never, ever, ever, if you're a Christian, name your child Jezebel. Yeah. Do not do that. It's a, it's a bad name. <laughs> yeah. She's the Old Testament Judas. You'll like, never see Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, you think of names, if you're a Christian, names you do not name your son. You do not name him Nero. You do not name him that. <laughs> you do not name him Judas. <laughs> you know, those, and so it's, it falls along those lines. So um, basically, Ahab, uh, Ahab was, I believe, Northern Kingdom uh, after Jeroboam. There might have been a couple kings between him and er- 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 ah- Ahab. My goodness! And uh, essentially, God raises up a prophet named Elijah, and Elijah basically resisted. Um, kind of basically let me back up a little bit ahab marries jezebel and jezebel brings in idolatry like into the forefront like solomon kind of brought it in some with his wives but it was still like they he kind of incorporated them into the temple whereas jezebel kind of like okay idolatry throughout the land they started making the high places and various other uh religious sites besides the temple and and things of that nature, both in the north and in the south. Um, And so you see just like this uh, degradation of worship, and they start worshiping, like kind of like what uh, Robert said, they were worshiping Baal, they were worshiping Molech, which is child sacrifice by the Canaanites. I mean, just some wicked stuff. But um, so Elijah comes along and he kind of basically in a, in a nutshell he does one instance of um, like a really spiritual high like a really awesome thing that he does um, during uh, a time of famine uh, basically uh, there's an instance where uh, Sam, uh, not Samuel my goodness uh, Elijah um, sets up an altar to Yahweh, where and then like the Baal 
worshipers, the Baal priests set up an altar to Baal, and it was really a competition between the gods, so to speak. Like the people were like, we don't know who to worship. The king, Jezebel, says, and this is in the northern kingdom, and I think it trickles in a little bit to the southern kingdom as well. Um, but, like, we don't know who to worship. You know, the king is saying to worship these idols, what have you. But this one guy, this prophet, this crazy guy, is saying, no, you should worship Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh is the one true God, and you need to turn to him, and you need to believe him. Um, and so there's a contest, so to speak. Um, and, again, like I was saying, like, so Elijah sets up an altar to Yahweh, and the Baal priest sets up an altar, and they basically chant, they rave, and let out. They cut themselves, drip blood, call out, scream to Baal, but Baal doesn't answer. And so, all the all the nation of uh, uh, the northern kingdom, I think, at this point, is gathered around um, uh, the situ- gather around the area, and they see that Baal doesn't do anything. And then Elijah, um, during a famine, collects water and pours water out onto the altar um, and like basically soaks it through and through. In other words, like there's so much water poured out onto it. It's in a way kind of like a travesty because, you know, they're in a famine, they're in a drought, and so they're, they're spending all this water onto, like pouring it onto this altar and there's also meat on the altar there's a there's a sacrifice there's a uh, a uh, animal sacrifice cow sacrifice and so then Elijah basically prays to law, to Yahweh saying you're the one true god we should worship you we should bow down before you and we should follow you you are the one true god reveal yourself show yourself to Israel and Judah and prove that you are the god of that's there and smoke, fire, and all that falls onto the altar and consumes the sacrifice to the point where, like, the flames even, like, got so hot that it uh, absorbed all the water around the uh, the uh, the uh, altar, so to speak. So it basically consumes it. So it proves, you know, Yahweh is the one true God. And in that instance... The Israelites and the uh, uh, Judeites, the two different kingdoms, realize that Yahweh worship is the true as is is what they should worship, and so they destroy the Baals. And this is a very short-lived um, instance, but they 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 kill the Baal priests and they reinstitute Yahweh worship. And at this point, that really makes Jezebel upset because she's the queen; she wants people to worship Baal and not Yahweh. So she sets out and goes to want to kill Elijah, or yeah, Elijah, because there's Elijah and Elisha. So there's two different guys there, two different prophets, very closely um, in time period, and um, Elijah kind of runs, and and just kind of just kind of uh, pull back a little bit. Basically, the end of Ahab and Jezebel is they. Uh, Robert, do you remember exactly what happens to Ahab and Jezebel? I know she gets thrown off of a, like, she falls off a porch and basically yep. is eaten by wild dogs. Yep. 
And I'm not and sure about Ahab. Ahab was actually lied to uh, by a, a deceiving spirit. God was saying, my plan is for him to go into battle and not come back. And actually, while I'm on this, I'll steal this tidbit. Go for it. <laughs> this is Do one it. of the most mysterious, interesting episodes in Scripture, just because we know so little about how it works. But it goes against some, many of our ideas about how angels, demons, and God interact. He has a council in the spirit realm, and these spirits are standing in front of him. And God says, I plan to send Ahab into battle where he will die. That is my judgment on him. Uh, he will die similar to how Saul did. It's going to be terrible. How do we get him to go to that battle? And a spirit steps forward and volunteers and says, I have an idea. I'll give him a false prophecy. I'll promise him you know, roses and unicorns. He'll come back and it'll be fine. If he goes to battle against so-and-so king, everything will be great. He'll be awesome. He'll be a champion. But it'll be a lie, and he'll die from it. And God says, yeah, go do that. So the prophecy comes. Ahab gets puffed up in his pride, goes to war, and never comes back. And that's how that story goes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Who was the Who was the one that um, had the the uh, tent peg oh, shoved in his head? That was uh, rewind to judges. I'm trying to pull his name. Oh, out that of my a head. judge? That wasn't a king. No, that was when Deborah prophesied that he'll fall at the hand of a woman, and uh, he went and hid in because he was running from Deborah. And you think she's going to be the the one who kills him. Yeah. And instead, it's a random housewife in a tent who drives a peg through his eyeball while he sleeps. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, so... G-rated yeah. Sunday school stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not! <laughs> yeah, so, my bad. I thought, for some reason, I thought that was a king. So, my apologies. That's why I brought it up, but I was wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, see, that's that's the glorious thing about whenever you read so much of Scripture. Sometimes it gets muddled, and you're like, well, that was a king. Well, I didn't know. That was a judge. Some of the Old Testament. Yeah, some oh, of the Old Testament, yeah. man. I mean, and that's that's one thing I want to talk about because Robert mentioned you know Ahab and Jezebel before before we started recording, and it's like the Book of Kings, First and Second Kings, is after the after you get to the point where you have that interaction between um, uh, uh, Elijah and Elisha and um, and the Jezebel and and all that. It's like you literally have bad king, bad king, bad, you know, like li- like literally it says, and such and such came, was crowned king, and he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and he lived seven or eight, or he reigned seven or eight years, or however long he reigned, and then he died. And then such and such, his son, or somebody else, took the throne, and they were, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, like, you have hundreds of years like like I was saying, like you have like nine seventy nine sixty somewhere in that ballpark. Whenever this you know um, these other kings start taking up, and like between the north and the south, you have bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, There's and like then three or four bad to every one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like yeah. I think it's literally <laughs> in the yeah in the northern kingdom. I don't think there was ever a good king. No, nope. that's true. Yeah, in nope. the south, no I know. Land. Let's see. There's Asa. Asa was a good king. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the good kings were short lived, which is tragic. Yeah, yeah, they were short lived. And then there's seen those. There's another one before Asa, but or I might be mistaken that. But anyways, the next one that I'm going to mention in the Southern Kingdom is 
Ezekiel. Um, and Ezekiel was, no, not Ezekiel, excuse me, Hezekiah. See, again, Old Testament, you get names mixed up. <laughs> Hezekiah, Southern King. Um, yeah, Hezekiah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, yeah, uh, so long story short, Hezekiah was a good king um, of the Southern Kingdom and reigned pretty well. He did a lot of good things. Um, but one thing that's interesting about Hezekiah is that he started getting sick, and basically God shows up and says, get your or, uh, your affair in order, you're going to die. And this causes Hezekiah to weep and cry and basically pray. And Hezekiah prays and prays and prays. And actually, because of the prayers, because of the sincerity of, of his heart, he prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. And God extends his lifetime by 15 years. Is it 15 I years? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so 15 years. So he recovers. And so let me back up. So in the northern kingdom, you had bad king, bad king, bad king. And around 620-ish, you had the Assyrian Empire come along and destroyed um, the northern kingdom. Totally wiped it out. Um, took majority of the people away from um, the, uh, the their homeland and assimilated them into the kingdom of Assyria. There were some that stayed... Uh, that survived, that stayed in the northern area, and that's where you kind of get the Samaritans from, which is why a lot of the Jewish people, there's conflict in the time of Jesus because they were half-breeds. That's what the Jewish people saw them as because they were part pagan, part Jewish. Um, That's where that comes from. Uh, But going back to Hezekiah, so Hezekiah is a little bit, I'm not sure if he's at that time period, a little bit after um uh but he lives another 15 years and um basically shows off his like the he recovers and uh the envoys from Babylon come and he shows them like these envoys from Babylon because they they heard he was sick and then they heard that he recovered and so they come and they kind of like celebrate with him and in his zeal of recovery he shows the enemy, basically, the entire, like, all the riches that the southern kingdom has. Like, he shows the temple off. And like I said, at that point, the temple was covered in gold and, and jewels. And there's all kinds of golden articles and things like that that um, that were part of, like, um, the, the, the wares that they used. Like, the, there was gold and the silver bowls. All kinds of stuff. And that's not just that. There's, there's other things besides that. So basically, Hezekiah shows off all of his riches to um, the Babylons. And he, you know, they leave and they depart. But the problem is, is they saw the riches. And as um, I believe it's Isaiah comes up to him after afterwards. And it's like, basically, like, dude, what are you doing? You just showed the enemy all of the spoils. And Hezekiah's like, so? <laughs> yeah. And then the, Isaiah's like, 
Well, here's what the Lord says. Because you've done this, you have invited Babylon to come against you. And and they won't be in your lifetime. It will be, I think, in your son's or your grandson's lifetime. Because mm-hmm. it's like 580 is whenever these uh, campaign of Nebuchadnezzar starts. Um, and that's what seals the deal with the southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom was wiped out in 600s. Southern kingdom limps around for another about 50 years ballpark. And then Babylon comes and wipes out the southern kingdom. And through a series of, um, uh, what's the word? Deportations, I guess you could say, basically empties out the entire land of Israel and both upper and lower kingdom. There's nobody there as far as the Jewish people goes. They're all in captivity um, or assimilated into uh, various people groups like with the Syrians. Um, So that would basically kind of be like the, it wasn't the end, but basically what happened is because you had all these bad kings that, just did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And if God is good, he will punish evil. So even whenever his people, you know, people talk about how God isn't just whenever he brought judgment upon the Canaanites. But whenever the Israelites did the exact same thing, he brought judgment upon his own his own chosen people and and sent them into captivity because of the things that they did, the false worship, etc., sacrifice, human sacrifice. Yes, they were doing that. Um, sacrificing their infants to Molech. Numerous things that God's like, do not do these things. You should not do these things. Don't do these things. Repent, 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 repent. And finally, there was no repentance. And he was like, all right, gloves are off. Here comes judgment. Gave so many chances. To- yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, you. I mean, if if you look, I mean, between the time of Rehoboam and Jeroboam, like I said, you're looking about 900, and then you go to the time of when Israel, the Northern Kingdom, was conquered. That's 600 and something BC, 610, 620, roughly. Um, you can talk about hundreds of years of where they had the opportunity to repent do something different, and yet didn't. And the southern kingdom had a couple good kings that brought them back to worship Yahweh, but it was never long-lasting. It was ne- like, and, and, and for each good king, there was like 10 or 15 really bad kings. And then it got to the point where there was no good kings anymore, and then that's whenever the southern kingdom was wiped out as well. Um, goes into captivity and so like if you put on if you're looking at the old testament like graph you have like the first main historical event is god calling the israelites out of egypt into the promised land that is like one of the times where god was super active he was leading them by a cloud of uh, uh, a pillar of fire during the day and cloud, well, excuse me, uh, a cloud during the day and fire at night. He led them. He provided quail. He provided manna. He did bring some judgment on some wicked people. and But he was clearly active, involved, 
And then, um, uh, and so then you have that period of time, and you have the judges and the first kings, and you kind of have like this lull a period, and then the next super big event, which is where a lot of the major and minor prophets came into play, is during that those those span of time of bad kings and occasional good king. That's really where you have the bulk of your um, major and minor prophets. Like a lie uh, excuse me, um Isaiah, Ezekiel, um Hosea, um good night, there's so many others, um Haggai, uh and, and various other ones. And so the next big thing that happens in Israel's time period is after the captivity happens, you have seventy years where they're in Babylon, and then after that they go out of Babylon and they go back home and they reset up their kingdom but it's kind of like like they have the freedom to worship their Yahweh and they have the freedom to build their kingdom back up but it's like a limited freedom like they're still under the th- the thumb of uh the Persians because you have um the Babylonians who basically kind of like uh bring judgment upon the southern kingdom and then they kind of have their 70 years of where they're kind of in charge. And then they do what was evil in the Lord's sight also. He provides judgment on Babylon. And the Persians basically wipe out the Babylonians. And so then kind of like in a way it's like Israel was not free, but they had a new, they had a new ruler over them. And that new ruler kind of gave them permission to go back home to go back to the promised land and to rebuild their temple and rebuild their city and so that's kind of like the historical framework of kind of like major events in um the people of israel because you have um when they go back you have zechariah uh and malachi and a couple others that are after or or during that time period of prophets that are kind of like encouraging the people to keep going doing the, their work that they should that the Lord's called them to do. So that's kind of like at the end of the Old Testament, so to speak. That's kind of like what's happening is you know they've they've served their captivity. They've they've kind of like realized their error of their ways, and God brings them back to the promised land, and they reestablish a limited form of government underneath the Persians. And it stays that way until um, the Greeks basically come through Alexander the Great, conquers the known world. And so the Greeks kind of control Israel at the time. And then you have the Maccabean War. And that is like, what, 170-ish? Yeah, give or take. Give or take a little bit of... (laughs) ballpark time period bc um and so the jewish people revolt against the greeks because the greeks um offered a pig unclean pig sacrifice into the temple which was like a huge no-no to the israelites or, or the jewish people i should say at the time because that's the southern kingdom whatever um and so there's that huge flare-up between them and the greeks they throw off the greeks for a period of time and so for a very, very short sliver of time, Israel is independent again, and then uh, the Romans come. 
and subjugate them. And so that's kind of like in that there's like roughly about three to four hundred years of silent period of time um, after the book of Malachi. Is it three hundred or is it four hundred? Uh, 400. 400 years yep. of silence from Yahweh. And that's what sets up the New Testament is they've basically they were under the Persians. Then the Greeks had a little taste of freedom there for a short period of time. And then the Romans came and basically laid, laid a waste to everything and took control and... That's what the setting of the New Testament happens. I'm just kind of giving you like a brief synopsis of the Old Testament there. You kind of talked a lot about the kings, mostly the United Kingdoms, and then just kind of momentarily went over some of the other stuff. I mean, there's a lot of time packed <laughs> into this. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're we're giving like cliff notes. Um, we're talking about hundreds of years here. I mean, you're talking about... Uh, from 960 all the way down to 170, which is when the Maccabean revolt revolt happened. So, I mean, that's a long period of time. So we didn't really probably do it a whole lot of justice. So don't rely on us to exactly be your, um, uh, like if you're taking an exam on (laughs) the Old Testament, you know, definitely don't just take our word for it. Go (laughs) actually look up some information. Uh, It's in the Bible. Most of it is, and the stuff that's not is historically documented outside of Scripture. Um, so, yeah, with that, Robert, do you have anything? Um, no. Uh, I mean, you summed <laughs> it up pretty well. and you've In a nice little bow. In a nice little bow, and you brought the narrative so far ahead, I wouldn't dare backtrack. It's like, let me tell you about a king about 400 years before all this. <laughs> uh, you, that's what your Scripture is for. You have access to the Bible. Um, if uh, you memorize all those names, you can go to a Wendy's and get a free. No, I can't. I can't. that? A free, a free, a free frosty. <laughs> but you have to pay for it because <laughs> it's not free. And every cashier there is trained to memorize those names. They will know on the spot if you they got it right. Because <laughs> <laughs> and as her bloodshot gazed eyes p- gaze upon you with no life inside <laughs> them and she just goes here's your fries <laughs> you'll know you passed <laughs> oh, oh, that came out of nowhere but yeah no yeah we're having fun tonight but uh well i mean it was a lot of information you know really i mean you're talking about almost a thousand years of history it is because <laughs> and the ironic thing uh for this episode is we actually knew this episode by nature would probably be a little bit shorter than usual which is okay but the irony is not because we have less information it's because we actually have more (laughs) way more than we could ever expand on yeah i mean well and and it's the and i mentioned it earlier it's like there there's like huge portions of scripture and it's like and such and such lived became king and he did what was evil in the sight of the lord and he died and that's literally the most we have information of that king because he did nothing of note unless he offered up his son to Molech or some abomination or something like that. It's mm-hmm. like like there's just king after 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 king. You get the idea. 
but still, after king, after king, after king, <laughs> that did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and like, just like, yeah, a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> it's the pinball machine of of Jewish history because you get that noise after king, after king, after king, <laughs> and it went nowhere, and you're wondering where the ball is. <laughs> you're so confused. Your eyes just kind of glaze over, like, okay, okay, all right, but I get the it. The thing is, though, uh, when you're looking at that, though, it was it's really fascinating because God still respected the free will that everybody had, that Israel had, that the kings mm-hmm. had. Mm-hmm. Like, he gave them the opportunity, but he still respected their free will. They did evil, mm-hmm. and they definitely revolted against God and rejected him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But even though he respected that free will and let them do what they were going to do, he still wove everything he needed to do that mm. eventually led to Jesus. Right. Yeah. Everything fell into place exactly how it was supposed to mm-hmm. while still within the confines of, of, of everybody. Will. And it just is mind blowing. Like how, how God's sovereignty yeah. can like, still work within human free will. Oh yeah. 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 It, it, you just, just can't comprehend it. Like no, our brains just no. can't aren't designed to, to no. comprehend that. I mean, just imagine writing, and I mean, writing a novel is hard enough, but just imagine writing a novel, and the scenario is you can't control any of your character's decisions, but if it doesn't end a certain way, the publisher won't publish it. Yeah. I mean, you would be in trouble. <laughs> I mean, how far ahead would you have to plan to accommodate all of those parameters? Mm. And this, I mean, history is God's novel, and yet every character had a life of his own or her own. And God accommodated and planned ahead and moved things in place and put people in certain situations knowing how they would react so that we would have Golgotha mm-hmm. and the church and this podcast mm-hmm. and we would be able to look back on it all. Um, anything else before we land the plane? You are free to land the plane unless you got something. Nope. Fear for landing. Clear for landing. landing. Bang towards the ground, hard and fast, crash. But uh, <laughs> but uh, as we finish this, very brief but probably quite painful on the other end of the podcast. <laughs> if any of you have insomnia, you might be able to play this episode as a lullaby. But as we finish this overview, sorry. Yes, that. As we finish this overview of the divided kingdom couple things for us all to think about until we get to the next episode but you know it's easy to sit there and it, unless you're fascinated with historical information you can easily ask what's why what's the point why and one challenging question for us is one thing Zach actually brought up uh, he said a lot of this section of scripture is very brief he said this king existed he was terrible and thank God he died, and moving on. Now, it's all we have, but he said, and I quote him across the table from me, because they did nothing of note that Scripture would be proud of. When your life is finished, when your story is told, Ooh, looking back, how much or how little would you be ashamed of or proud of? If you're just a footnote in history, they were here, thank God they're not here anymore, what kind of shame would that dump on your entire legacy? And that's why one thing that ties into the gospel is just 
what is your life going to be known for? Did you follow Christ or did you follow yourself? And this is why Robert lands the plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that gave me chills. Yeah, that was good. Uh, thank you. But by his grace, may none of us be a shameful footnote in an otherwise boring history that people use for a lullaby. May it be exciting. May it be selfless. May it be heroic, all because of Christ. And so that's one point. And one final one as we go into this last section this is actually where the narrative of the Hebrew Bible ends, and I'm not dumping on the Hebrews. I mean, we worship the Hebrew God. But without the New Testament, the Old Testament ends in a cliffhanger. And imagine if there was a trilogy for those movie fans, book fans, video game fans, whatever. Imagine they promised a trilogy, gave you two of them, and never got around to the third. The, the cliffhanger that the Hebrew Bible hangs on, the promise is there. The end is coming. It's going to be good, but we know nothing about it when we finish the Hebrew Bible. And so, looking ahead, when you don't have the full picture, who are you going to lean on? Because the story of the kings ends in exile, and of course there's a return, but the return of the king does not live up to Tolkien's hype when we get to the very end and the exile's return. It is a very small-scale, very very humbling experience, and we've covered it in other episodes. And so as we look ahead, may these fallen kings look ahead to the king who never will fall and will never fall into death again. And, of course, you know who I'm talking about. I don't need to spoil it. Jesus. He spoiled it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all I have for now. I mean, may we glorify God in this information. Amen. All right. Well, I don't think anybody can say it any better. That's a great place to end on. Uh, thank you, Zach. Thank you, Robert. Uh, that was a fantastic uh, series into kind of the Kings, history of Israel, the Old Testament. Um, we hope everybody enjoyed and learned something, this great history lesson. And join us next time uh, for our next episode. And uh, once again, visit us on our um, website, theactpod.com, our Facebook page. The Achieving Christian Thought Podcast. Leave us a like, leave us a message or view. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll talk to y'all next time. Yep. Yep.